Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. Today in the studio. Hi, this is Claire L. Evans. My book is about women throughout computing and internet history. It's really a story of the 20th and 21st century told through anecdotes of women's experiences interfacing with technology. There are sort of representative stories from each major technological shift, from the invention of computers themselves to the invention of computer programming, to the earliest days of the internet, to the kinds of communities and early publishing experiments that were possible in the early days of both the internet and the web, and computer gaming too. It's a little bit of everything. The important thing for me is that it's sort of a, a reimagination of history. All these things happened, of course, but I've read so many computer history books. And it's one of my favorite genres. I love to read about the development of the most important technologies of our time. But there's lots of stories that are repeated again and again, really familiar stories about technology entrepreneurs starting companies in their garages in Silicon Valley. And I love those stories, but I always wondered where the women were, if they really weren't there or if they were just hidden somewhere right to the side of the spotlight. So for me, it was kind of a detective work, history detective work, trying to find where the women were, where they concentrated, why they concentrated there. Was it by choice? Or was it because that was the only place where they had access to contributing? And then to sort of try to extrapolate patterns from that. Did this happen again and again throughout history? And, and if so, why? And what can we do to change it? It's also just the story of a bunch of really amazing, super smart, super fascinating, super cool women. And I hope that anyone who reads it, male or female, can appreciate it on that level. It's just some of the best people I ever had the chance to talk to in my life. And I feel proud to have them in the pages of my book. I wrote my book because I wanted to see these stories put down on paper somewhere because things move really quickly in technological history and, and more and more rapidly. It's kind of an exponential thing. And because the internet develops so quickly and changes so quickly, it has a tendency to erase its own past. And it's really important for women and girls to see themselves in the history of the most transformative technologies of our time because that's how you see yourself in the future too and in the present. So for me, it was about getting these stories down while, while the ink was still wet, you know? And I feel really happy that I got to. I also feel like there are so many more stories to tell. There are so many stories that I wanted to include in this book that I wasn't able to just because of length and time. And But I look forward to future books that cover every single nook and cranny of the last 50 years of computing development because there are still so many stories to tell. I was inspired by the women I had the opportunity to talk to. I was inspired by the women who have done some of this kind of work before me, writers like Sherry Turkle and Sadie Plant and Ellen Ullman, who have written really fantastic histories and personal histories about computing, really putting themselves and putting women into the heart of technological history. Narrating the audiobook, it was harder than I expected, yeah. <laughs> Not much harder. I think I anticipated that it would be challenging in terms of just stamina. I mean, just sitting in a chair and talking out loud in a room is surreal and physically quite exhausting. At the end of every day, my tongue felt like sandpaper and I didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, I would go home and my boyfriend would want to talk to him about my day, about this crazy experience 
I was having, and I just was so exhausted. I didn't want to talk. So I definitely expected that, but I didn't expect how physically sort of weird it would be. The most surprising thing about the experience is when you write a book, you face the text a lot. You're reckoning with the text all the time, and you think you know it really well because you've gone over it and over it for years. But it's not until you're reading the whole thing out loud slowly that you really come face to face with A, the accomplishment of having completed something that takes five days to read out loud. I mean, that's a marathon thing. But also just every little nitty-gritty mistake or just things that you think, oh, I should have done this differently, but it's way too late now. I suppose every writer experiences that. But there were also things I was really proud of and and happy to see on paper and, and excited to say out loud. It feels like, I don't know, saying it out loud means something. It feels like something different. It means something to write a book and to publish it and send it out into the world, but to say it, to sort of perform it, is a different way of conveying a really important message. And I hope it means that it gets to more people. There are so, so many words that you think you know, and I say the general you, but I mean me. There are so many words I thought I knew that when I said them out loud, I realized I've been saying them wrong forever. Synapse, for example. I always thought it was synapse. Minutia-y. I always thought it was minutia. I've always believed that you should never judge people when they mispronounce words because it means that they learned them from reading, and there's no shame in that. But it's funny how many words you think you know from reading so much and writing so much that just aren't part of everyday spoken language unless you're, you know, in a very specific field. So it was humbling to realize that I'm not as smart as I thought I was. But also really exciting because every time you have to figure out how something is pronounced, especially when it's someone's name or a geographic location or the name of a sort of technological object from the past, you have to do research. And I thought it was really fun to, with my producer, look things up a lot and find videos and find pronunciation guides and try to figure out based on what nationality somebody was, how their name might be pronounced Sometimes my producer made phone calls to people's offices to find out for sure how their names were pronounced, which is something that I probably would have been too terrified to do on my own. I'm not good on the phone. So, yes, a trial by fire pronunciation. I'm excited about having accomplished the reading of this book, and I hope that it comes off personable. I tried to read it like a friend telling you a story, and I hope it comes off that way. You know, I don't know you, dear listener, but I would hope that we could be friends. I think if you read my book and liked it, then you're definitely a friend of mine. I didn't do any voices or anything, but I do some emphasis here and there. I mean, there's some things in the book that are kind of embarrassing to read out loud. There's a rap at one point. There's a poem. There's a lot of technical words also, but a lot of word salad. Computing history is full of crazy acronyms and words that are not often said out loud. So. I'm proud that I managed to get my mouth around some of these sentences without coming off like a fool, and I hope that you appreciate that. If I wasn't going to record my own audiobook, who would I cast? You know, I never really thought about that. It's funny, I have a kind of ear blindness. It's a joke my boyfriend and I often make. Every time I hear a celebrity's voice in a commercial, I can never tell who the voiceover is. I'm just incapable of matching people's voices to their faces. And it's not until afterwards when someone tells me, oh, that was Susan Sarandon. I'm like, oh, of course. So I don't know if I'd be the best at selecting someone to read for me. One thing I really wish 
I could have done, I think it would have been impossible, would be to actually include the voices of all the women that I interview. Because a lot of people in this book are totally, you know, still around and kicking. Obviously, the earlier history, they're not with us anymore. But pretty much everything from the 1970s on, they're people that I met or spoke to. And it would have been really great to bring them in, to have them read their own quotes, because some of them have such great, you know, beautiful voices. And I think it would have been fun to get them in the mix somehow. I don't know if they would have wanted to read their chapters. It's always kind of weird to read something that's about you. But even just to say hello, it would have been cool. When I was a kid, my father always read to me. And my father is British, and he has really one of the great reading aloud voices. When I was a kid, I was enraptured by it. I mean, he has a lot of gravitas in his voice, and he really laid it on thick for me when I was a kid. I got to a point when I was a little bit older where my mom and I would tease him all the time for putting on his serious reading voice. But when I was little, I really loved it. And I remember he read me so many books. I mean, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is something that sticks in my mind. But we read together all the time when I was young. I think it's a big part of why I became interested in writing, because that experience of sharing a book with someone is so nice. It's not something we do so much as adults unless we're reading to children. But the children that I've read to, I don't have kids of my own, but you always read little kids' books about bunnies and and rabbits and you know, little things. But that great age when your kid is like maybe 10 or 11 where you can really read them a story that you both enjoy, I think that's really nice. Sometimes I read to my boyfriend because he's a bad reader. Not that he can't read, he just doesn't ever take the time to do it. So I force him into it sometimes by reading him my favorite short stories and poems or else just describing the plots of books in great detail to him so he can know (laughs) what I'm reading and he can internalize that and have it as a cultural reference. I think that's really important. He sometimes does that with movies I can't bother to see. For me, it's a kind of mutual education. Advice for people who are going to narrate their own audiobook. That's the basic stuff. Hydrate. I drank so much water in the last four days and a lot of tea. I found that chapstick was helpful. Your mouth gets really dry, and even if it doesn't actually make any practical effect, putting chapstick on for me made me feel like I could keep going. Take breaks, walk, and go slowly. That's definitely something that I struggle with. I've always been a really fast talker, which is something maybe women do. We discussed this with my producer. We feel the need to fill the empty space and get our point out there as quickly as possible before someone stops paying attention or walks away. But I think that's really good advice, to speak slowly, because that gives you more presence and it makes people listen to you. It's sort of counterintuitive, but it's true. So I try to do that. I don't know if I accomplished it in very many places. Plus, people listen to audiobooks at 1.2, 1.5 speed, so you're going to want to talk slowly if you want them to actually hear you when they speed you up. Apart from that, enjoy it, I guess. I mean, it's a experience you don't often get to have as a writer or as anybody to sit with something that you made in such an intense and in-depth way and to really reckon with it. I enjoyed it very much and I look forward, fingers crossed, to doing it again. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.